It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dan. It's my privilege this morning to be with you to uh, preach God's word to you. Um, so do keep it open in front of you. You're not here to listen to me so much as you are to um, hear God speaking to you through his word. Uh, now, I wonder if you've ever met uh, anyone famous, and I wonder how you would react if you did. It would probably depend on how famous that person was or maybe how bothered you were about them or maybe whether you even recognized them in the first place. Um, there was a lovely story that came out um, following the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Um, this, the Queen was walking one day in the countryside around um, her estate in Balmoral. Um, she's on her own and just had a royal protection officer with her, Richard Griffin. And a couple of American tourists uh, came in the opposite direction um, and sort of cross paths with them. And the queen actually quite liked to uh, pass the time of day with people that she met as she walked around, but it became quite quickly obvious that this pair hadn't recognized who she was. They began having a conversation about where they came from, uh, what parts of Britain they'd visited, and then they asked the queen where she lived. And the queen replied, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday house uh, just over the hills there. Um, and they said, well, how long have you been coming here? Well, I've been coming here for more than 80 years now. And naturally, they wondered if she'd met the queen, having been around for so long in that area. And she very truthfully answered, well, no, I haven't. But Richard here, he's met the queen regularly. 
well, of course, now their, um, their interest uh, passes over to Richard and having uh, someone there who's met the queen, they were keen to find out what she was really like. Uh, I'm sure with a little twinkle in his eye, he said, well, she can be a bit cantankerous at times, um, but uh, she's got a lovely sense of humor. Well, the tourists naturally wanted a photograph, uh, but not with the queen, because they hadn't recognized her. They wanted a photograph with a man who'd met the queen. Um, so they handed the queen their camera. They threw an arm around Richard's shoulder and as the queen took a picture. Um, after that, Richard passed the uh, camera to the, you know, the queen passed the camera to Richard so that he could take her picture with the tourists too. Um, and before they knew it, they were waving goodbye and they didn't even tell them um, that they'd failed to recognize the queen. The queen then turns to Richard and says, well, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they get home and show those photos to their friends. And I hope someone tells them who I am. Well, just as those tourists failed to recognize the queen, there are many people today who fail to recognize Jesus. Some people, they think Jesus is just another guy. Maybe he's kinder than the average. Maybe he's wiser than the average, but he's just another regular guy. At the end of the day, he's not much different than you or me. And what does someone like that, a regular guy who lived 2,000 years ago, have to offer me that I can't get from any other influencer on TikTok or Instagram? Still other people have recognized that Jesus is incredibly special. He's perfect in word and deed. They might even have realized that he is God himself. And they realized they could never be, never match up to him. They recognize that he's worthy of praise and obedience, but they're constantly beaten down by their inability to obey one another. And they fear the consequences of their sin. And others, and I count myself in this number, recognize that Jesus is so much greater than ourselves, that he died to save us from our sin, but then we fail to live lives that fully demonstrate that recognition. Well, don't lose heart this morning. We're all on a journey, and as we'll see, Jesus' disciples were no better. Uh, as Andrew said earlier, here at Heavy Park Church, we've been working our way through the book of John. It's an account of the life of Jesus written by one of his closest friends, We've been learning how Jesus came to bring life to the full. And we'll see this morning as we get into the passage that um, life lived to the full comes from recognizing Jesus for who he truly is. And at this stage of John's gospel, Jesus' disciples weren't any better at recognizing Jesus than we often are, despite spending three years traveling with him, having seen the miracles that he performed uh, and the teaching, um, they still don't fully understand who he is or why he's come. As we come to John chapter 13 this morning, then it marks the beginning of a new section of the book. Um, the first 12 chapters have covered about three years uh, of Jesus' life, and the next five or so chapters cover the events of just one evening. So John helpfully begins this section by showing us what it's going to be about. It was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Well, the Passover was the biggest Jewish festival commemorating uh, the time when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And John is mentioning the Passover here to link Jesus' death, which is less than 24 hours away at this point, with the death of the Passover lamb. 
as he already has in this book, where John the Baptist says in John 1.29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everything that we read from this moment on in John is pointing us towards Jesus' death on the cross and helps us to understand something more about the significance of that event. And this section will also be all about how Jesus showed his love to his disciples and by extension to those of us who believe in him today. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That doesn't mean that Jesus' love came to an end at any point. It could be more translated as love them to the last or to the fullest extent. It's a bit like one of those, um, those long balloons that are really hard to blow up, hard to get started. And I don't know if you run out of puff before you get to the end of them. Well, not Jesus. He fully inflated the balloon. And then rather than letting it go and you know, whizzing around the church, he would tie it in a knot uh, that can never be untied. We sang earlier on, didn't we? Um, what we all do later on, but love, his uh, indestructible love we'll be singing later. Jesus loved his disciples as much as he possibly could to even suffer death and separation from God for them. And each portion of these last chapters of John is a demonstration of Jesus' love, that balloon becoming more and more fully inflated, culminating in his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, but beginning here as Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And there are three questions for us to answer this morning. What do we need to recognize about Jesus? How do we fail to recognize Jesus? And what happens when we do recognize Jesus? So firstly, there are two things that we need to recognize about Jesus this morning. His power and his humility. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus is fully aware of who he is. He knows that all things have been put under his power. And we've already seen some of Jesus' power in the very first verses of John. This is John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The word there refers to Jesus. He is God, and he created the whole universe. But that's not all. Another of Jesus' followers, a man called Paul, said these words in Colossians chapter 1. The Son, that's Jesus again, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only did Jesus create everything, but he keeps everything going. Without Jesus' power, the earth would stop spinning. The very fabric of the universe would come apart at the seams doesn't get any more powerful than that, does it? With this kind of power, there's nothing that Jesus couldn't do. Many of you will have heard the saying, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But 
I want to say, it's not power that corrupts, but it's sin. The more power someone has, the greater opportunity sin has to corrupt them. Not so with Jesus. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. So when he wields his power, it's with love, not sin. Perhaps the most surprising word in this whole passage is the next one. So. Jesus knew he possessed all the power it was possible to possess. So he created a delicious feast for his friends to enjoy. No. So he commanded Judas not to betray him. No. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. Jesus uses his power in the most unexpected way imaginable. In humility, Jesus used his power to show his love for his disciples. We'll see more of what this foot washing represents later, but for the disciples, this would have been a shock. It'd be like the queen turning up at your house, knocking on the door, and when you answer it, she takes off her crown, puts that to one side, takes off that you know, fur-lined robe that she has, um, and hangs that on the back of the door, and then rolls her sleeves up, grabs your toilet brush, and starts cleaning your toilet. It'd be a shock. In the first century, the feet were the part of the body that got the dirtiest. First century roads were even dirtier than ours. There was little to no drainage, no council street cleaners to remove rubbish and animal droppings. After a day walking the streets of first century Jerusalem, the disciples' feet would have been caked with all manner of disgusting things. Cleaning feet was a job reserved for the lowliest servant. Not even Jewish servants were expected to wash someone's feet. This was a job for the lowest of the low. And yet we see the hands that put the stars in their place in the heavens, holding feet stained with sweat and dirt. And this foot washing is even more surprising when you consider whose feet Jesus is washing. Before daybreak, every one of the 12 men who were having their feet washed by Jesus will have deserted him. Every single one of them ran away from him when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus came to Judas. I think the reason John mentions Judas in verse 10 is just to remind us that he was there and that Jesus washed his feet, the feet that in just a few short hours would lead the Pharisees and the temple authorities to the Garden of Gethsemane to hand Jesus over, them, over to them to be tried, mocked, spat upon, beaten, humiliated, and crucified. Washing his fickle and frightened disciples' feet was humility enough, but it was only a symbol of a far greater humility that Jesus would display uh, the very next day. In Jesus' interaction with Peter, we find there are two types of washing that are needed. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. The two types of washing then are one of the whole body and one of just the feet. And these symbolize two things that Jesus' death means for those who put their trust in him. When Peter refuses to have his feet washed, Jesus tells him he can have no part with him unless he is washed. So in classic Peter style, all or nothing, he doesn't want just his feet to belong to Jesus, but all of him. Peter doesn't really understand what Jesus means. Jesus is referring to his death. Jesus' death would be the act that washes clean from sin anyone who puts their faith in him. And because Peter and the other disciples, apart from Judas, had already put their faith in him, weak though it was, they were already clean because they trusted in Jesus to save them, even though they didn't know how that would happen yet. But despite being clean already, Jesus points out that their feet still need to be washed from time to time as they pick up uh, dirt from the streets they walk. Jesus' death on the cross is a one-off cleansing for the whole person that doesn't need to be repeated. Once saved, always saved. When you belong to Jesus, you are safe in his hands. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. But because we live in a world that is corrupted by sin, that means we are also still corrupted by sin. And we need our feet to be washed from time to time. We need to come to Jesus with our sin, like dirt on our feet, to confess our sins to him, receive his forgiveness, and know a, a renewed closeness with him. So what do we need to recognize about Jesus? We need to recognize his power and his majesty, that he is so far above us, and we are so dirty in our sin and powerless in comparison to help ourselves. We need to recognize our need to be washed. We also need to recognize his humility, that he humbled himself so far as to take our uncleanness on himself and pay the price for it. We need to recognize that he is willing to stoop so low as to wash us, either for the first time to cleanse us from all our sin or in daily repentance for ongoing sin in our lives. But how is it that we fail to recognize Jesus? Well, Judas and Peter both failed to recognize something fundamental about Jesus. Judas failed to recognize Jesus' power, and Peter failed to recognize Jesus' humility. Despite spending three years traveling around with Jesus, hearing his teaching, witnessing his miracles, despite having done some of these things himself, Judas still hadn't realized who Jesus was. He was completely oblivious to the gulf between them. He neither recognized Jesus' power and perfection, nor how sinful and selfish he was in comparison until it was too late. Jesus was his teacher, and he looked up to him, but just as the first among equals, just a bit better than he was, one of the lads. Jesus was like him, but just a bit better. And maybe you feel the same way. Do you admire Jesus as a good teacher and a kind person? 
Perhaps you see yourself as a good person. You care for your family. You work hard. Maybe you think Jesus is just like you, but a bit better, like you on a good day. But the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even on our best of days, we always fall way short of the standard that Jesus sets. You see, there's a huge gulf between each of us and the God who made us. And that is all of our doing. It's our sin that separates us from God. We've distanced ourselves from God. And we need to recognize Jesus' power and our inability to come to him on our own terms. The, the example of Judas acts as both a warning and an encouragement for us. It's a warning because Judas had spent three years following Jesus. He'd taught and he'd worked miracles. To anyone looking on, Judas would have appeared to be living life to the full for Jesus. But we know the tragic end of his story. He would go out this very evening and offer to betray Jesus to the temple officials for just a few pieces of silver. The warning is this. Don't think that just because you come to church on a Sunday, because you sing the songs with gusto, or because you know the right words to say when it comes to praying, that that makes you a Christian. Not even if you can stand here in front of more than 100 people and preach the gospel. It is entirely possible for someone like me to stand here with all the appearance of living life to the full for Jesus without ever having truly recognized that Jesus is Lord. Without recognizing your need to be washed clean from all the guilt that stains you. However, there is an encouragement here too. Even though Jesus knew the wickedness in Judas' heart, he washed his feet anyway. I think Judas still had a chance to respond to Jesus in faith at this point. There is no one who does good, not even one. But neither is there anyone so bad that they're beyond the reach of God's love and mercy. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So while you still have the breath in your lungs, there is still an opportunity to recognize the power Jesus has and your need to come to him to be washed by him. The other disciple singled out in this passage is Peter. Passionate, impulsive Peter. Peter was fully aware of Jesus' power and his own lowliness. That's why he responds to Jesus so strongly. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You who are so perfect, me who is so sinful. Peter knows that he needs to be washed, but Jesus certainly isn't the one to do it. I suspect that Peter thought he needed to clean up himself a bit to be a bit more presentable to Jesus. Jewish religious practice of the first century was centered around keeping God's law as the way to be acceptable to God. That was something that had never worked. That's why the Jews had to keep making animal sacrifices to receive forgiveness for the ways in which they'd failed to keep God's law. Peter knew that Jesus was gone. He'd confessed as much. We've seen it already in our studies in John. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter recognized Jesus' power, 
but he hadn't yet recognized Jesus' humility. Is this true of you? Are you aware that you fall far short of Jesus' standard, but don't want to come to him with your sin? Instead, you're trying to clean yourself up a bit so that you can present yourself to him as a good person, as good enough. Or maybe you think you're so humble and sinful that you can't come to God at all. So instead, maybe you pray to the saints rather than to God who loves to hear your prayers, or you confess your sins to a priest rather than to the Savior who gave his life to pay for them. Or perhaps you're a Christian here this morning. You've already been washed clean by Jesus' death on the cross, but you feel burdened by sin, either in the past or the present. Maybe there's some habitual sin that you keep committing despite vowing never to do it again. Well, let me tell you this morning that just as Jesus knew how his disciples would fail him, how they would all desert him, yet he lovingly washed their feet. And Jesus knew as he hung on the cross, he knew every sin you would ever commit. He knew how you would fail him tomorrow morning because God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows how I will fail to show love and patience to my children tomorrow morning while I'm trying to get them out the door to school. But he died to take my sin and shame for that. He doesn't need to wash me from head to toe again. I just need to come to him, recognizing his humility and his loving desire to forgive me day after day to keep my feet clean. So don't be like Judas. Don't fail to recognize Jesus' power and your need to be washed. And don't be like Peter. Don't fail to recognize Jesus' humility and your need to be washed by him. But what happens when we do recognize Jesus' power and humility? Well, the simple answer is that we'll follow his example and we'll know great blessing in our lives. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returns to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Well done, says Jesus. You call me Lord and teacher. You know that I'm greater than you. And now you see that I am also more humble than you. Knowing that Jesus is both powerful and humble, though, is not enough. Because even the devil knows that much. But it's of no benefit to him because he doesn't follow Jesus' example. If we truly recognize Jesus' power and humility, we will do as he has done for us. So does that mean we just need to wash each other's feet? If so, form an orderly queue while I go and get a bucket of warm soapy water. Job done. If you remember, the foot washing is just symbolic. Not that we shouldn't do it, but it is simply an example of the humble way in which we are to treat each other. Anything that we've seen Jesus do, we should be doing. And the disciples didn't fully understand what Jesus meant, but he tells them they will understand this more fully later. As they see Jesus die on the cross, they will realize 
the, uh, the extent and quite how low Jesus is asking them to go in following him. The disciples couldn't die to save people from their sins, but they would be expected to give their lives in order that many would hear that good news. According to church tradition, 10 of these 12 disciples would die proclaiming the good news that Jesus' death brings forgiveness for sins and peace with God. And the disciples would go on to learn more and more about what it means to follow Jesus' example as they began living life as Jesus' followers in the early church. There are a million ways that we can humbly serve each other. I encourage you to actively look around the church, look around your communities and your families to um, see how you can meet someone else's needs, even if it means uh, denying your own. But I also think that Jesus meant something specific when he told his disciples to wash each other's feet. The foot washing was symbolic of Jesus forgiving our sins. So we also should forgive one another. When someone's wronged you, you have a measure of power over that person, assuming they care that they've wronged you. And you can use that power for your own purposes, to make them feel bad, to get some revenge, or to, to get them to, to do something to, to make up for what they've done. Or in love, you can use that power you hold to humbly forgive them. If we truly recognize Jesus' power and humility as he forgives our sins, how can we do anything less for those who have wronged us? And what is the result of all this mutual, humble service? Or we'll be blessed. To be blessed simply means to be happy. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be if we were all looking out for ways in which we could humbly serve each other? It makes me happy. I am blessed to be here at Heavy Park Church because I see so much and I receive so much humble service from all of you. If we truly recognize and understand Jesus' power and humility and follow the example he sets, we'll be living the blessed life living the best life, living life to the full. I wonder whether those American tourists who uh, met the queen would have behaved differently towards her if they'd recognized her at that point. I wonder if as they look at the photos of them with the queen and realize their horrific error, whether they cringed at the casual arm thrown round her neck or the fingers up behind her head, and their lack of respect for so revered a figure. I think if it was me, I'd seen the queen coming towards me, I might have headed off in a different direction, thinking that she wouldn't be interested in someone as lowly as me, not aware of the fact that she likes to pass the time of day with people. And I would have missed out on a delightful encounter like we've just heard in that story. So I say to you this morning, recognize Jesus as he's coming down the path. Recognize his power and majesty and your unworthiness because of your low position as one of his creatures and because of your sin. Recognize his humility seen in his desire to come close to you by dying on the cross to make that possible. And recognize the example that he sets and the great happiness that we can experience when we live lives that demonstrate our recognition of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who was the exact representation of yourself, all your power in him. 
But Lord, we thank you that in someone so powerful, he was also so humble. These two things that just don't seem to go together, they certainly don't in our world, Lord, where these things are corrupted by sin. We thank you for your love for us, that meant that you used your power and you laid it down, that you might give your life to pay the penalty for the sin, the penalty that we deserve. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, recognize both your power and your humility here this morning. I particularly pray for those who've never recognized that. They've never really seen who you are. Lord, I pray that they would see how exalted you are, what you've given up to show your love for them. I pray that they would see their need for forgiveness and humbly come to you, knowing that you have given your life for it. I pray for those of us who already know you, that you would help us to live in joy every day, knowing that you've forgiven our sins, that we don't need to bear the guilt for them, but that you have paid for them, and you just long for us to come to you, to confess our sin, to know forgiveness, and to uh, be reminded of your joy and your love for us.